Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone. Welcome back to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael, and this is the Prodigy Edition. Hello and welcome everyone. Hooray! Hi David, how are you? Doing good. It's actually, I'm really psyched for this one because this episode was really fun. I know. You love the fun stuff. (laughs) If you are new to our show, you can... Now, we've been recording for about... Four hours now, different things, and uh, I'm at the end of my sanity. I'm losing myself, so I'm probably going to have lots of talking problems. Uh, probably should reward that. Speech problems. There we go. All right, so if you're new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Star Trek from the holodeck. Okay, so we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 5, Terror Firma, and it is considered the mid-season, the mid-mid-season finale. Mid-season finale. Of course, as we had discussed during our last discussion, we had shared the news that there are actually going to be 20 episodes for Season 1, but they're going to be broken up. The first five episodes are running, obviously, now. The next five will start early 2022. Yep. Then it goes away for a couple months and then comes back for its final 10 episodes. So that's where we are with Prodigy. And I'm I'm okay with it taking a little break. There's a lot for us to catch up on. We're going to be really busy with Discovery as well during the holiday season. So I'm okay with it taking a break. But I'm really impressed with the fact that Prodigy is able to at least still do interesting things with the Star Trek universe and introduce concepts to us that basically add to, you know, like the Star Trek universe in a relatively short manner, short manner. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because we're dealing with like a a 25, 26 minute episodes. Mm -hmm. And yet you are right, Dave, they're covering a lot of ground and not just in the way of narrative, but adding to the mythos of, of Star Trek. Of Star Trek. They're, they're literally adding legit things to the world of Star Trek that mm. we can definitely rally behind. Now, I know I mentioned this in the past mm-hmm. in regards to Prodigy to being Star Trek's answer to Star Wars's Clone Wars. Yeah. But honestly, I honestly think this is their version of Rebels. Like, that's how good I think I feel about Prodigy after this, the, uh, these past couple episodes i will say that the show is a lot more mature than i had thought it was going to be sure they were dealing with a young crew so the immaturity that we do get is because they're young kids the story itself is not immature no this is just a show that's no different than say goonies written to be taken serious 
but the immaturity is embedded within the story because yes. the character themselves are children. Especially since, dude, I think, okay, out of all the series that we, me and you have covered for Star Trek, the one thing for me that has been missing in Star Trek is a villain, right? Discovery... Discovery's had villains, but more or less it's been obstacles. I want to say the last great singular villain we have been given in the way of Star Trek is probably Star Trek, uh, the 2009 Star Trek. Nero was amazing. Nero, Nero was amazing. Yeah. But here we get our first classic Star Trek villain in The, the Diviner. Div- yeah. Played by, cool. played by John Noble. The one thing that I think me and you haven't touched on is like, the fact that Prodigy and animation series brought in a talent like John Noble to play your your lead villain, and dude, he's honestly from what we've seen so far in the series, he's gearing up to be one of a really epic villain. I hope I like it so far. That's for sure. But David, you know what was the most exciting thing about this entire episode? Seeing Janeway <laughs> in command. Was more than I could hope for from this show. I absolutely loved seeing Janeway sit down at the captain's chair and assume control. Assume control. I didn't think we would see it. Now, David, there's no reason for a hologram to sit down and take command. They can easily you know, interact with the ship in a way that we don't even need to see or hear. But that added bit, having her sit down, I think was definitely something that they did purposely to and- give us that little... You know, just a sign of respect and just knowing that the fans probably would love to see Janeway sitting down in the captain seat again. Yeah. With the Janeway mannerisms, too. Because if you look how she sits, that is like how Janeway would sit in Voyager when she would, she would like very elegantly sit on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the chair. Yeah. And uh, not motherly, like you always been saying about her lately. She mothers, (laughs) she's very maternally sits. Well, she could be elegant and motherly. That's true. That is true. <laughs> okay, so in the way of story and Star Trek mythos, what did this episode do? Let's start with one of the mysteries that was set up back in episode one. When we saw that interesting system that was within <laughs> yes. engineering that no one seemed to know what it was. Well, the Protostar is equipped with a Protostar drive or a proto drive. I'm not sure what it does yet. Does it allow them to break the warp 10 barrier or is it oh, just yes. simply a way? David, we can't break the warp 10 barrier. If we do, we turn into some salamanders. That's already been established. Well, that's the thing though, so, because it's a proto drive and what it's, it's literally powered by. Yes, you're going to break the warp 10 barrier, but you would you would think that basically Voyager's already been through that whole scenario, so they probably developed technology to protect themselves from it. Okay, but this is all speculation, right? Yes. Like, okay, I didn't miss anything. Yes. Okay, you all didn't right. didn't miss anything. Well, we'll see, because at first I was like, okay, well, it's just a way to power the systems, right? No dilithium crystals. It's powered by an actual star. A star. Which is kind of cool. I like that. That definitely works. But then the way they sped away from the Diviner's ship. Yes. I'm like, okay, well, it's also going faster. So what does this mean? Is it breaking that warp 10 barrier? Have they managed to find a way to break that 
Warpton barrier without any type of disruption to your body. It's your level. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. We've never seen them remedy that issue, right? No, not in Voyager. It's been hinted at that basically they could, but it would take like an advancement in technology for them That's to actually right. do it. They actually talked about that in Voyager. In Voyager. Yeah, and it, was, like, it was beyond them though, right? It was yes. beyond their abilities. Yeah. And that's why I was like going, I love the fact that basically you have a miniature Voyager class ship that has a, I'm going to say it's experimental right now. It isn't a Voyager class, is it? it it's very similar to it, a Voyager. It is similar. It's similar. So I would call it like a mini Voyager style ship. Maybe like, you know how they have the iPhone mini? Maybe it's like the Voyager mini. <laughs> you know, as funny as it sounds, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But like, so you have that and then you also have the Janeway hologram captain, most famous captain of a Voyager class. So And the very best captain. Very best. Oh, that's controversial. <laughs> I'm probably making some enemies right now. Oh, yeah. But you know what? You're not alone in that boat. I, there are times when I basically say I would serve under it, Janeway. Well, I just, that just sounds bad. Oh, well, no, it doesn't. It sounds very pleasant. Uh, David, I we've had this, these discussions on the Patreon shows. We never had the balls to have these discussions on our free forum, the free shows here. But we've had discussions and debates. Yes, we like, have. Well, what is or who is the best captain? And I don't think it's as simple as years past. No. It was always Captain Kirk or Picard. But now after you allow the years to go by and... And the performances of, of Cisco and, or I should say the stories written out for Avery Brooks as Cisco. And same thing with uh, Kate Milgrew's Janeway. Janeway. They have aged so well, the stories. And now you're contending with four captains. Really, who are the best captains? Because each of them have very unique uh, story aspects that make them interesting. Yeah. Um, even you know, even Archer, those last two seasons, but I definitely don't throw them into I, the best. I can't throw them in the best. No, Not I, after the first season. At this season. point, Dow is more interesting than Archer. Exactly. <laughs> they should have made Trip the captain. <laughs> oh, a lot of people feel like that because, unfortunately, Archer is just a little too... Uh, a little podunk. A little podunk. <laughs> Ooh, we, we have the stars now, aren't we? How did he, how did he graduate? My father made me a model. <laughs> I used to fly around in circles when I was just a wee child. <laughs> how he, that's how he acted. He acted just podunk. Like he straight, from podunk. The, straight from Louisiana and he had like stars in his eyes and he went to Hollywood. I'm going to be a star. <laughs> my mother said, my mama told me I could never be a star, but I'm a star. And it, 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 it worked for a little bit because, you know, like the whole story of Archer was the fact that remember to Paul, they told him you expect to walk up to someone and just say hello and yeah. be all happy about it. They're not going to be happy to your face. Yeah. I listen. I love, I still like Archer. I just like to make fun of him. Oh, so no, I, I have, uh, I, I love enterprise. I don't, I don't, it's got back. It's just good, good, good. It's good to make jokes. That's all. And Scott Bakula's performance as Archer was, there's a charm to it. There is for sure. Okay. So getting back on track here, the protostar drive. So this is really a big thing in the way of Star Trek canon. Oh, yeah. This isn't something small. So this goes right back to what we were saying, I believe last episode that prodigy can be a show that is very relevant 
to the world of Star Trek. If they continue, oh, yeah. if you remember, I said this last episode, if they continue to go in the direction that I think they're going, they're going to end up being not just a fun show for kids, but it's going to be a relevant Star Trek show that fans are going to have to eventually watch if they want to fully understand the bigger picture of Star Trek. Because when you're introducing things like the Diviner and the Protostar and a Proto Drive and Catherine Janeway's now hologram aboard the Protostar, these are big elements that are being added to the world of Star Trek. Yeah. So I love it because it continues to add value to Prodigy. That is a show that will be remembered. It's a show that people will watch when they want more Star Trek. And I'm liking the direction they're going because, David, I continue to be surprised because I just did not expect this show to do things, to make waves in, in the Star Trek, in the Star Trek world, well, essentially. Because when you look at the cast, that the main cast in, in Prodigy, automatically you don't think of them as your normal Star Trek characters. Yeah. You know, number one, and I think this was a really smart thing that they did was they're not dressed as federation they're not federation cadets i think eventually they will be though i think they will i think be, by the end of the season they're probably going to end up wearing uniforms maybe maybe by the end of the season but i think the charm of it is the fact that they're not federation and the janeway hologram is going to figure out that you know these aren't quote unquote starfleet cadets and she's going to have to change her quote unquote programming to actually understand these you know kids yeah and i think the story for that is going to be really interesting especially since i was worried that this would be a short you know 10 episode uh type show but when it was announced that it's 20 and they're using the five episodes each as like a backbone for every single time we have a new star trek series suddenly prodigy's on yeah. In between just to keep the Star Trek energy going. Mm -hmm. And that got me really psyched. And it, it definitely makes me feel like they're not going to just do throwaway stories in Prodigy. Right. They can't. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes the show that much more appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about character development, Dave. There's quite a bit going on. Um, not with the whole crew as a whole, but it, it, they did build a little bit more synergy around the characters, you know, teamwork coming together to, to save the day, to escape, to get back to the ship. That part was good. They fleshed out the, the, the dynamics between them as characters, but the main character development came, uh, in the way of Gwen and her father. Yes. And we definitely saw a turning point there. Gwen has already been struggling with this image that others have of her father, you know, which definitely conflicts with the image of of a daughter and what she has of and the image she has of her father. And many times, as we know, kids may not even want to accept that their parents have these types of issues. So to see a character needing that last bit, even though the evidence has been right in her face, front and center. He has slaves. He mistreats people. It wasn't until she saw firsthand his dismissive attitude towards his own daughter's life, towards her, that he put more value in a spaceship, a starship, 
than his own daughter. And and it wasn't just, oh, I'll come save you in a second. It was, I'm going to let you die. Yeah. His own daughter. I'm going to let you die because I'm going to go get this ship. The ship is far more important than your life. That's a turning point for this character and a big success for the crew of the Protostar because now they have yet another valuable, competent member of the crew who honestly, I still believe she should be captain. Oh, she uh, she definitely has the skills, as I said in the last episode. Yeah. But I, I honestly think Dahl is gearing up to be the heart of Prodigy because, like, to, to see Dahl's progression with Gwen where he doesn't trust Gwen, but in the end, he still goes back and saves her. He values her life, her life. more than... Her father, her father does, even though he doesn't trust her. There was definitely a contrast there because you see that the father does not value his his daughter's life over the starship. Yes. But Dahl is willing to forego any suspicions and doubt on her intentions because he does place value in her life. Yeah. That says a lot about Dahl as a character and also it foreshadows what I feel is going to be a really great relationship between two characters, Gwen and Dal. Yeah. And I think that as in regards to a crew setup for prodigy, you need to have that dynamic at least between two characters. You know, we have it. Oh, in, we, we, you gotta have it. You gotta have it like, you know, Spock and Kirk Picard and data, uh, Janeway seven of nine, Cisco, God, who would you say Cisco's Jaco. oil? <laughs> I'm sorry, that made me laugh. That one, that's very mean of me. Jaco. Jaco. No, Jaco. He calls her Jaco. Jaco. But like. What? Uh, Cisco. It wasn't really Cisco and anyone, was it? It was more like everyone. Actually, it was. These ways that was different. Dak. Oh, yeah, it was. Dax. Yeah, 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 yeah. So but like, also that whole crew had its own little thing going thing on. Thing going on. Yeah. But like, you need that synergy between two characters for a star trek series yeah i agree and hopefully we're going to get that with gwen and tal i i do like their relationship already and i like that 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 moment too when you see gwen's reaction to doll descending on the protostar and pulling her away from the tendrils to save her yeah and you have that moment that basically she now understands that just like what you alluded to the diviner her own father was going to leave her. But this random stranger basically is willing to come back and save her. Yeah. That moment, that moment for my, for, for the episode was probably one of the most impactful for the crew. Without a doubt, it definitely worked to create this, this or solidify, solidify our crew. Now we're not done adding crew members yet. Because we still have some positions to fill. We have an engineer, right? Yes. We have a security. We have the navigator. Uh, we probably have the first officer, which is probably going to be Gwen. Gwen. But we still don't have a doctor. <laughs> and I believe Jason Alexander is playing the doctor. Yes. And we haven't been introduced to him. I yet. don't. Yeah, we haven't, right? No, I don't believe so. So I'm really interested to see when that character comes in. Because at this point... We know that the, the the Pro Star can outrun the Diviner and Dreadlock, right? Very easily now. So now the question becomes: Now the crew just has to figure out where are they heading. And now the story becomes almost very similar to Voyager, 
where, okay, we're going to be heading in that direction mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. everything's going to happen inside the ship. <laughs> yeah. So we also learned more about the murder planet. The planet itself is a sentient being and not just a root system. We had talked about that last episode. You and I had assumed that the planet was in fact a planet, a planet. but the parasitic root system was the sentient predator but it turns out it's not the root system is more or less its hands (laughs) its body maybe but it's the planet yeah and dude that's actually i mean we haven't we we've seen beings close to that in star trek yeah we've seen beings that are in like a sentient being an abstract being that is one with a planet yeah but not, I don't believe we've seen one that is, is the, the planet. planet. Yeah. And again, well, Prodigy just has this knack of actually adding things to the Star Trek universe that for me as a Star Trek fan, it's believable. Yeah, it works. Now, well, David, why would there be Klingon weapons on the murder planet? Yes. There was an episode in Voyager where we learned that a group of Klingons, Klingon pir- pilgrims, had headed off into the Delta Quadrant to await the fulfillment of a prophecy, which in the episode, they believed that Belana and Tom Paris's child was this prophecy. But there were a group of Klingons, a, a settlement that, that found themselves in the Delta Quadrant and they settled out there. They stayed. So that being said, that's probably one explanation as to why a Klingon weapon was found on Murder Planet because I saw some people posting that question, and if you on, think on about- Twitter, like, well, how come we're in the Delta Quadrant and there's a rando Klingon weapon and a crashed bird of prey? And I was like thinking to myself, I, I we all know that basically the entire production staff behind Prodigy knows their Star Trek knowledge, mm-hmm. and they're delving into Voyager. Especially with they're using Voyager Janeway, a lot to lead on exactly. Yeah. So that's what I automatically jumped to is like th- this was. Unfortunately, I don't want to. I'm worried to say that basically those Klingon, you know, uh, pilgrims that they met. This is their fate. Oh, that's awful. What if that's this? What, this is yeah. what happened. they died. No, dude. I think that this is what happened to them. Yeah, because like one of the things that I wondered about that episode because I I love that story in Voyager about Tom Paris and Belana's child was the fact that they just kept traveling out into the Delta Quadrant not caring they were just wanting to see this prophecy fulfilled. Yeah. Well, imagine them crash landing on this planet, and the planet decides to give them what they want to see. Yeah. Well, and I- this is how they die. <laughs> I'm sure they can tie it in somehow because they, I believe they were happy or satisfied with the daughter of Belana and Tom being the prophecy. So they were able to move on, but yeah, so well, it's interesting. I don't think we're going to learn more about the murder planet moving forward. No, because I think that the way that it left, I'd, I'd be wondering why doll would turn around and go back to yeah, the let's, planet. Let's go back guys. <laughs> All right, Dave. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. Final thoughts, David, give me your final thoughts and your RMD score. My RMD score for this right away is a 92. 
I really, a 92? Yeah, I really like this. I really like this episode. Have you just given up all professional criticism <laughs> and are now rating episodes based on sheer fanness? No, no. Because, like, honestly, when I take a look at this episode. This is 99. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I look at this episode, it really makes me excited for Star Trek because they're doing new things with it. You know, yeah. introducing a proto drive. It makes complete sense. It does. And like, especially if, if it's tied to like the Voyager crew, it makes complete sense why they would develop a, a drive that would basically make the USS Protostar the fastest ship in the galaxy. Well, simmer down. What about transwarp? Transwarp's different because you're doing like transport. You're doing basically teleportation. Yeah. There's no stopping that. But like actually from point A to point B, speed wise... The Pro Star is the fastest ship in the galaxy. <laughs> They're trying to run outrun Kess. <laughs> oh my God! I still say I would love to see Kess show no, up. No, no, thank you. <laughs> and and she has to be a villain. <laughs> no, enough. David. But yeah, I would give this. Uh, I'm giving this one a solid ninety-two. I had a really fun time with this episode. It introduced ideas that I never thought I'd see in Star Trek, but I'm excited to see in Star Trek. Okay, well, I give this episode an 84%. I definitely thought it was a strong episode. I am really liking what they're doing with this series. It continues to surprise me because of its relevance and what they're willing to do in this series. And I am thankful that the writers chose to give us a mature story with characters that are just simply kids. Because I really thought it was going to go the route of a traditional cartoon where the scenarios and the story itself is immature yes, and not necessarily grounded in any type of reality, but they found a way to make the show still appeal to kids by having the perspective of the narrative from a kid's viewpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. But we're dealing with real grounded, mature scenarios. Yeah. And I love it and I appreciate it. I did not think this is what we'd be getting. So I'm very happy and I'm enthusiastically looking forward to the next 15 episodes, Dave. So you know what? This does bring us to the end of our discussion. Please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and Pledge. When you pledge $5 or more a month, you'll gain access to additional Star Trek from Holodeck shows, as well as pre-shows that we do before every broadcast. We do need the help. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.